0: you might be wondering why I picked the book of Galatians as our next Bible book to study together as a church. There are a lot of reasons why I think God has this one for us next. One is simply, we've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament together. It's time to return to the New Testament for a while. I know some of you were hoping we'd go back to the books of Kings again soon. But I do think we need us some good New Testament teaching. Some grace upon grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this book, Galatians, is full of grace. It's, it's full of high octane grace. Another reason is that I wanted to reinforce what we learned in the book of Romans in 2014, 2015, 2016. Do you remember what we learned in Romans together about justification? Remember the word dikaiosune in the Greek? Very important. Galatians is sometimes called the Little Romans because it's so short, but it covers similar ground. It was written for a different group of people in a different situation, but it covers similar teaching in a few short, power-packed chapters. Another thing I wanted to do was fill in for us a little more of the connections between the book of Acts and the letters of Paul. Do you remember when we did the book of Acts back in 2011? The years have been piling up since then and I want to tie what we're learning what we were learning there together with what we're learning now. Another big reason I was drawn to Galatians was its connection with the Reformation in the history of the church. This year is our 125th anniversary as a local church and it's also the 500th anniversary of the rediscovery of the gospel that historians call the Protestant Reformation. Galatians was the book that probably had the biggest impact on Martin Luther and the rest of the Reformers in the 16th century. Maybe Romans, but definitely Galatians was used powerfully to rediscover, recapture, and restate the gospel of grace once again to reform the church. Galatians was Martin Luther's favorite book of the Bible. He loved it. He, he want, you know that joke where kids say, you know, I love pizza? And the other kid says, why don't you marry it? Right? Well, Martin Luther once said, I love the book of Galatians. I am married to it. He called this book his Catherine, which was the name of his wife. I don't feel married to this book yet. This Galatians is not my Heather. But I know that Galatians is good and glorious and worthy of our attention. To be honest... I've been intimidated by this letter. I've never preached the book of Galatians in 19 years here. And that intimidation is partly right. Because it's a thunderously powerful book. When you read Galatians, you hear the thunder. It's challenging at points to interpret. But just because I'm intimidated by Galatians doesn't mean we shouldn't read it together. In fact, it means we should read it together. So another one of the reasons why we're studying this now is so that I get over my fears and we get into the potent message of this epistle. It's strong medicine. Here's the biggest reason of them all. Galatians is God's Word. And I want what this little book teaches for our church family. I want the truth of the Gospel. I want the Gospel for our church family. I want us to be able to recognize The gospel. I want us to be able to repudiate every threat there is to the gospel. I don't want us to lose the gospel. I want us to know the gospel backwards and forwards and be able to spot every counterfeit that comes our way. I want us to live our lives in accordance with the truth of the gospel. You know, you can say you believe the gospel and live in such a way that denies the truth of the gospel. We're going to see that one of the other apostles was doing just that. Preaching the Gospel with his mouth and denying it with his life. I want us to finish with the Gospel. Not just start with it, but finish with it. I want us to understand the implications of the truth of the Gospel, which means freedom and fruit. Freedom and fruit. Those are the implications of the Gospel. Some people call Galatians the freedom letter. Because of how often Paul uses the word free. And that's our middle name, right? Lance Free Church. Because of the truth of the Gospel, we are free. And we need to understand that. And not just freedom, but fruit. Our Wednesday night prayer group is spending the next two months on just two verses in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and we'll find out the rest as we go. This book, Galatians, is full of glorious gospel truth that has the power to change our lives forever. That's why we're studying it. Sound good? Let's pray together and then dive in. Father, I pray for the truth of the gospel, that we would see it and we would know it and we would be afraid to lose it, that we would recapture it and We would hold on to it and we would live our lives in accordance with it and we would live out the implications of it in freedom and in fruit. I pray, Father, that You would meet us this summer in this sermon series and that we would be forever changed. Would You do that, Lord? I can't make that happen. I barely understand this Gospel. I barely understand this book of Galatians. Lord, take us deep into it. And have it dwell in us richly and change us, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're not going to get very far this morning. If you looked in the back of your bulletin, you're like, oh, five verses, we're going to hit Galatians a little slower than we hit the books of Kings. I just want us to put our toes in the water of chapter 1. Just the first five verses. In verse 6, Paul really takes off. We'll see next week that he doesn't have very much opening material. He just launches into his epistle. But all we're going to take time for this morning is just verses 1 through 5. Let me read it to you. I'm reading from the NIV, 1984. Paul An apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Just five little verses, but so much there. Do you feel that as you read it? It's like, yeah, if I slow down, there's a lot there. You can tell that this is a letter. Letters in this time period began with the author of the letter, and then the recipients, and then some kind of a greeting. This one does too. Kind of like some email programs. right? When you're writing your email, the top field is, Who is sending it, right? From what address do you want this to go out? Pastor Matt at Lancefree.org. The next field is to whom it's being sent. So to the churches at Galatia. Not that they'd get my email, but... And then the subject line or the body of the email, there you put your greeting. Hey there, right? Greetings. Good day to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope Hope this finds you and your family well. We miss you here or whatever. Well, that's pretty much what we have here in Galatians. Except that every line of it is dripping with a deeper meaning of spiritual significance. Paul doesn't just throw away his words. He doesn't just throw some words out there buckshot. He aims every one of his words with rifle precision. And every one is worth studying. So it's Paul and his spiritual family, verses 1 and 2, Writing to the churches in Galatia, verse 2. And then the greeting in verses 3, 4, and 5. Here's an outline of what we're going to see in these first five verses. And for each one of these items, I'm going to have an application point. Author, prayer, gospel. Author, prayer, gospel. The author is the Apostle Paul. But that's not all he says about himself. Look again at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You see how much is in there? Choose that as your email that you're sending it from. Right? He doesn't just say, it's from Paul. This letter is by Paul. He's got a lot more crammed in there. And that's for a reason. You see, we're going to learn in the next few weeks that Paul was, and Paul's gospel was under attack. Some false teachers had infiltrated the churches in Galatia, and they were undermining what Paul had taught the Galatians about the truth of the gospel. And these false teachers were throwing suspicion on the credentials and qualifications of Paul. Did you ever have that happen to you? Who does he think he is? Who taught you all that? Oh, was it Pastor Matt? Who's he? What does he know? Where did he get his facts? I understand he went to Moody and Trinity in Westminster. Those schools are a little flaky. I wouldn't trust anything he says. And that may be be true for me. But they were apparently saying it about Paul. Who is this Paul guy anyway? Where did he get his take on things? Where did he go to school? Who authorized his message He's got it, but it's kind of off. It's kind of wrong. He doesn't know what he's doing. He was poorly taught. Here's what Paul says. Paul, I'm an apostle. Nobody sent me but God. An apostle is an authorized representative. Somebody who is sent from another person and authorized to speak for him. Right? An author... Somebody who's this, a spokesman for another person. Authorized to say what this person thinks. And Paul says that he is an apostle sent, but note the negations. Verse 1, not from men nor by man. His apostleship is not by mere human origin. It is divine. His apostleship is of divine origin. He has been sent directly by God. That's what he's claiming. Now, that does not mean that there aren't human beings who are behind him and supporting him. The church at Antioch, we learn back in the book of Acts, was in some ways his sending church. They prayed for him. They supported him. They sent him out. They sent gifts to, to support him in ministry. He was a missionary. But they didn't give him his message. They didn't sit him down one day and say, Paul, here's what we authorize you to now teach. And they didn't give him his calling. He isn't the authorized representative of the church of Antioch. He is an authorized representative of verse 1, Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Here's our first application point for this whole book of Galatians. Listen up. Paul is going out of his way to say that what he has to say is from God. These are not just his thoughts and his opinions He's not just speaking out of his own ideas. He is writing as an apostle sent by Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Are we listening yet? In this letter, Paul is going to use some really, really, really strong language. Paul is very concerned about the situation in Galatia. And he's going to to sound the alarm. Come back next week. You might be surprised at how strong he gets with his language. It's because he thinks the problem they have warrants it. One author says the book of Galatians is a tornado warning. Like that siren in Windburn that goes off. If there's a fire or or if a tornado was approaching. Strong stuff. I'm glad I'm not standing out there in the parking lot of the fire station in Windburn when that siren goes off. Paul is saying here, listen. The the Galatians need to listen. He is not an imposter. He's not just some guy with an opinion. He is an apostle sent not by any human, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. He's trying to get their attention. Now, I'd like to spend some time talking about Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road and his call to ministry. I'd like to talk about Jesus Christ and God the Father are equals here in this verse. There's Trinity language going on there. But I also want to get all the way to verse 5 this morning and not get stuck in verse 1 this week. So we'll keep going. But notice the resurrection. The most important event in human history. Jesus came back from the dead. Raised by His Father. And that changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. There is no turning back to the way things were. We're going to see over the next few weeks that some of these false teachers were trying to turn back the clock to before Jesus and His resurrection. And go back to another era. To go back to an era of the law. But now that this resurrection has happened, everything has changed. And if the God who brought back Jesus from the dead has personally sent Paul as his authorized representative to share a message, we better get our ears on. We better listen up. That's why we're taking this book so seriously. Because it's a word from God. Verse 2. And all the brothers with me. Paul wasn't alone when he wrote this letter. I never noticed this verse before until this week. Paul, blah, 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 and the brothers who were with me. Even though these brothers and sisters around him were not sending him or authorizing his message, they agreed with it too. Paul is not alone with this message, even if he alone is the apostle composing it. Verse 2, to the churches in Galatia. Now, that is the title of our message, and it reminds us that this is a letter from a real person to real people with a real problem. There's a little debate about which Galatians these are. There were people of the ethnicity of Galatia that lived in the northern part of the province of Galatia. By the way, Galatia isn't a city. Galatia is a region, okay? It's like saying central Pennsylvania. Where are you from? Central Pennsylvania. Well, what city is that? Where's that city located? Well, it's not a city. It's, it's an area. There were folks who were ethnic Galatians in northern Galatia. And most biblical scholars believe that this was written to the churches that Paul established on his first missionary journey through southern Galatia. Remember this map from the book of, of uh, Acts? Do you Remember when we had all the maps and we were following Paul's missionary journeys? This is Paul's first missionary journey. It starts here go in Antioch. Goes to Cyprus, up here, up here to Perga, Antioch. Now, this is Galatia. You see, it's a whole region. So, here's the cities Lystra, uh, Iconium. Uh, Iconium still exists. It's in Turkey. It's Kona. If you ever see Kona on your map or hear about it in the news, that's Iconium. Lystra, Derby. Uh, th- those are the kinds of cities uh, that. Are the cities of Galatia. And and when we read the book of Acts, we saw that Paul preached in those places and he established local churches. So these folks, these churches, were his children in the faith. He had taught them the gospel. He'd come to their region. He taught them the gospel. And they had begun to form these local churches. Not just one, but several through these cities. And he cares deeply about them. But he doesn't praise them. He doesn't thank God for them. Did, did you ever notice that Paul normally does that in his letters? In his letters, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. Right after the part where he says their name, and then he, he says his name, he says their name, then he, he starts to tell them how thankful he is for them. He tells them what he thanks God for when he thinks about them. You know what I'm talking about? There's nothing like that in Galatians. Now this is probably the oldest of Paul's letters. It was one of the first documents of the early church, written between 47 and 49 AD. In fact, written long before the Gospels were written. This is one of the earliest documents of the Christian church. He probably wrote it during the events of the book of Acts. So he isn't necessarily breaking his usual pattern of giving a thanksgiving because he hasn't set that pattern yet for all that we know. But he sure does skip any thanksgiving. I think it's because there's a problem with these churches. Things are not as they should be. These churches that Paul established are in danger and potentially have lost their way. He does not give thanks for them. There's a big gaping hole there. But he does tell them what he wants for them. What he prays for them. Look at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. That's, That's what Paul wants for these Galatian Christians. In a second... In verse 6, he's going to turn on the tornado alarm. But the point is not to disturb their peace, but to seek their peace. He wants grace and peace for them. Grace and peace. Grace and peace were normal standard greetings in Paul's day, they were the sup of the day, right? Especially grace for the Gentiles, caris. Caris, grace, grace to you. Or peace for the Jews. Shalom. Somebody sent me an email this week that signed off Pax. That's the Latin for peace. He's saying, peace out. But Paul means so much more by these words than hello, I hope you're having a good day. He means grace and peace. He means the gospel of grace and the peace that comes with it these are not just little insignificant throwaway words these are the deepest prayers of paul for those these people whom he loves here's application number two receive grace and peace and pray for it too pray for it for other people like paul does Grace is unmerited favor. It's unearned blessing. Spiritual benefit given to you as a present. As a gift. Grace is one of the most important themes in Galatians. We're going to talk about grace just about every week when we're in this book together. God's free gift. That's what grace is. And when you have that grace, you have peace. Peace with God. Peace with others and inner peace all flow out of grace. Each one of Paul's letters, each one of Paul's letters begins with a mention of these two things. Grace and peace. One commentator writes, grace and peace are a succinct summary of the entire Christian message. Grace is God's unmerited goodwill freely given and decisively effective in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Peace, on the other hand, denotes a state of wholeness and freedom that the grace of God brings. That's why we're reading this book this summer. To get some grace and some peace. I want grace and peace for you and for me. That's in fact going to be my prayer for you every day this summer. When I start praying for the church family, I'm going to pray for grace and peace. Would you make that your prayer for this church as we work our way through Galatians together. Grace and peace. From where? Not from ourselves. Not from our families. Not from our government. Not from our jobs. Grace and peace to you. What does it say? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There they are again. He switched the order from verse 1. But it's the same two persons working together. God, our Father. Notice the our, like in the Lord's Prayer. And God, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what He says that Jesus did. Verse 4. Jesus gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. (laughs) There is so much there. We could have a whole sermon just on that sentence right there because it's the Gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? Jesus gave himself. He sacrificed himself. He turned himself in. He chose death. He chose the cross. Remember all that stuff we read in Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He chose that. It didn't just happen to him, he he chose it. The Bible says he set his face towards Jerusalem like flint. He didn't budge. He walked right into that fire. We won't get to my favorite verse in the book of Galatians for a few weeks, but I'm going to share it with you now. You probably have it memorized. It's chapter 2, verse 20. Paul just can't get over how Jesus loved him. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, catch this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, that's where grace and peace come from. They don't come from hard work and effort. They don't come from the law. They come from from knowing the love of Jesus Christ and trusting in it fully. The sacrificial love of Jesus Christ on the cross. We just sang about it. Hallelujah for the cross. Verse 4, Jesus gave Himself, it says, for our sins. That's the cross. Why did Jesus have to die like that? I was talking to a pastor last night who was recently asked by an attender at their church why the cross had to be so drastic. Why couldn't the salvation we have be a little less dramatic? A little less bloody? A little less deathish? I don't know all the answers to that. But one thing I do know is that my sin is so ugly, so corrupted, so putrid and offensive to a holy God, that it took the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ to pay for it and to rescue me. Verse 4, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us. We couldn't do it on our own. We needed a breakout. We we needed a, a rescue mission and Jesus volunteered. Tomorrow is Memorial Day when we who are Americans remember those servicemen and women who fought and died for our protection and for the freedoms we enjoy in this country, we are thankful for all the ways we were rescued by their sacrifices. Their sacrifices are a kind of echo, a reverberation of the greatest sacrifice ever made in the greatest rescue operation ever launched. Jesus came to die and rescue us from the present evil age. The Jews of this day divided, the, divided history up into the present age and the age to come. And when Jesus died, He broke the power of sin. He broke the power of the world. He, he gave us a new freedom to live as citizens of that age to come. We who are Christians have been busted out of the power of this world. Now we still live here. But we are no longer enslaved to this world. We're we're no longer really a part of it. We're in it, but not of it. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We've been busted out. Our exodus has come, and we're on the road to the promised land. I am bound. I am bound. I'm bound for the promised land. So, don't go back. See, that's what the threat is here in Galatians. We're going to see it next week. Some some people were coming along and and saying, we ought to go back. The penalty of sin has been paid. The power of sin has been broken. Someday even the presence of sin will be no more because of what Jesus has done. He gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And He did it, verse 5, according to the will of our God and Father. They worked in perfect tandem, the Father and the Son. It wasn't like the son said, oh, no, I don't want to go. And the father said, no, you got to. And it wasn't like the son said, I'm willing to go. And the father said, no, I don't want you to. No, it was in accordance with the will of our God and father that he gave himself. They worked in perfect tandem. Isn't it interesting how often God has been called a father in Galatians? And we're only four five verses in. Here it says that the Father willed the sacrifice of His own Son. That's what Isaiah 53 says. It was the Lord's will to crush Him and cause Him to suffer for our sins. How terrible for the Father. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the Gospel. It's the truth of the Gospel. It's at the center of everything and it changes everything. And it's where you and I can find grace and peace. Number three. Glorify the Lord forever. Verse 5 again. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul hasn't even started the letter yet. (laughs) And he's already saying amen. He hasn't even even gotten into his argument. He hasn't even gotten into tussling with the Galatians. And he's already praising God. He can't help himself. He feels these things so deeply. He sees these things so clearly. He can't help but praise the Lord for what Jesus did for us. Hallelujah for the cross. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you feel that? Do you agree with it? Do you feel that amen in your heart? Maybe not yet. Sometimes the best application of a Scripture passage is simply to worship God and thank Him for what He has done. Let's do that. Let's sing hymn number 345 about the amazing blessings of knowing God through Jesus Christ. And let's not stop singing and worshiping God. Let's bring Him the glory forever and ever.